Isaiah chapter 6. I want to read the first eight verses and then we'll pray. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Father, we pray your blessing upon your word. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, every, anywhere we turn in your word, there is such beautiful truth, such life-giving truth. Lord, help us to receive this morning what you have for us from this passage. We ask it, Lord, speak to our hearts, stir in our hearts, we ask. Lord, let us not leave here with our hearts in the same place we came. I pray you will stir our hearts up in a fresh way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah has this amazing vision of the glory of God. And we don't want to hurry past the first words. The first words were, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. That's not just incidental. Isaiah's not just trying to give us a chronological uh, checkpoint to know when it happened. It is a deliberate contrast. King Uzziah, with a glory and the power of a king, died. That's what kings do. It doesn't matter how powerful a king becomes, how high they become raised up, how glorious their throne. They come, they go, they die. We all do. Doesn't matter what pinnacles we reach. But the Lord's reign and His glory is forever. And Isaiah isn't blessed by this vision of God's glory. He's undone. He suddenly realizes his own contamination, his own sin, his own unworthiness to be in the presence of God. And all he can say is, woe is me. I'm a man undone. We will never know our wretchedness, how deep it goes until we're until we see it contrasted and we're in the presence of the purity of God and the holiness of God. And so Isaiah is paralyzed with guilt. He's paralyzed with shame. Until an angel takes a red hot coal from the altar and he touches his lips with it and he says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Your sin is paid for. 
And then Isaiah hears the Lord ask the question, Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? I have a message. Who will go? And Isaiah cries out boldly, Here am I. Send me. As we were driving in the car to Santa Marta, I felt the Lord drop a message title in my heart. That was it, a message title. And the message title is this, you can't spell gospel without go. You can't spell gospel without go. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ dying to save us from our sins, rising from the dead, coming as a babe, all that good. But that good news isn't good news to those who don't hear it. It's not good news to those who don't know it. It only becomes good news as we go and bring it to those who need to hear for it. So God is looking for those who will go in His name. And I want to share just a couple points. We're coming upon Christmas where we celebrate Jesus coming to earth as a baby. But think about this from heaven's perspective. The gospel wasn't Jesus coming to earth. The gospel was Jesus going to earth. He left heaven. So I can imagine the angels in heaven wondering what is going on as Jesus prepared to leave heaven and come to earth or go to earth. They must have wondered, what is God doing? What is God up to Why would Jesus, the King of Heaven, leave His throne, divest Himself of the powers of God and the glory of God and come to earth? Go to earth from their perspective as a helpless baby. Why would He empty Himself? Why would He take on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men? Peter wrote that the angels longed to look into these things. They were wondering what is going on. What is God up to? But here's what we know. Somewhere in the corridors of eternity past, the Godhead, knowing that man would fall, knowing that man would sin, planned, made a plan to redeem us. And we can picture God the Father Asking, as he does in Isaiah chapter 6, who will I send? Who will go for me? And Jesus answering, here I am. Send me. The only one who could come. The only one who could go. With the message and with the the gospel. You can't spell gospel without go. Jesus lived a life of going. He lived a life of going. He, going from heaven to earth in order to save the world. Going to the poor. Going to the brokenhearted. Bro- going to the outcast. Going to the captive and the imprisoned. Going to the broken to preach good news to them. Isaiah 61. Going, going, going. Going to the cross to give His life as a ransom for us. 
Jesus is that true burning coal taken from the altar of the cross, touching our lips and taking away our guilt and atoning for our sin. He is the only one, but He does take away the guilt. He atones for the sin of all those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus. And that is such good news. But there would be no good news. There would be no gospel if Jesus didn't answer His Father's call to go. If He didn't go to the lost, if He didn't go to the poor, if He didn't go to the broken, if He didn't go to the cross, there wouldn't be a gospel if there wasn't a go. As Christmas approaches, we not only celebrate Jesus coming, we celebrate Him going. We celebrate Jesus saying to the Father, I will go. Send me. Jesus left heaven to go, but from our perspective, to come, that he might save us. You can't spell gospel without go. And so the Lord, it's so appropriate and so much a part of who we are as the church that the Lord commands us then to go into the world with the gospel. We are called to go into the world with the gospel. After Jesus rose from the dead, before he ascended to heaven, we know in Matthew 28, he rallies his disciples and he commands them. And through them, and through his word, he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded. Go. He says, go. That's our command from Jesus. Go. The only way they can be saved is if you share the good news with them. So go. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he shifts. So that's, that's us. That's us getting saved. Maybe you, you, I hope you had that moment, wherever it was, where you went to an altar. Maybe it was your seat. Maybe you were a child. Maybe it was in a church and you went up front. Maybe it was as you're driving your car. But all of a sudden, you believed in Jesus and you believed in Him with your heart and you confessed Him as Lord with your mouth. That's what Paul's talking about. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not may be saved. Might be on a good day. But will be saved. Everyone who calls. Everyone. I love that. Don't you love that? Don't you love the inclusion of that? There's no uncertainty there. But then he shifts to our responsibility. Because how did we come to that point? And how can the next person, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news go you have good news go i have good news go go funny little story um when we were in barranquilla we stayed with juan and angie 
Juan is the senior pastor of Mission Rescato. His wife, Angie, is just an amazing person. She's so loving. She's, she's kind of a, a force of nature. And um, Janice said, and I can totally see her because I think she did this with us as well. But when, they were, when it was time, like they were moving, moving, moving. And when it was time to get somewhere, she'd be like, go, go, go. Am I right about that? Yeah. Go, go, go. And it wasn't, she wasn't being bossy. She wasn't trying to be obnoxious or anything. She's just passionate. Everything she does is passionate. And so we're, they're on their way. And by the way, they just served the ladies there. So they really poured it out. Um, they really did. But she's so passionate about helping these ladies and, and serving them and ministering to them. It's like, go, go, go. We got to do this. Jesus is that passionate about the lost that are all around us. So Grace Community Church, let's, let's listen afresh to his command, his call, and his excitement. Go, go, go. Who's in your life? Who's, who's, who do you have a voice to? Who do you rub shoulders with? Go, go, go. And as we go, I want to share just, uh, as we close, I want to share just a few practical ways that uh, we, can, we can prayerfully be more effective at going with the good news. Um, so here's just a couple of things. I'm going to share them briefly. But first of all, let's go believing that people are spiritually ready and open for the gospel. Let's go believing that they are thirsting for the gospel. Surveys today, and this surprised me, I wouldn't have thought this, but surveys show, uh, reveal that people are very open to spiritual things right now. There is a hunger that people have. They're hungering for something more than what the world offers. They're thirsting for something more than what they have. Whether they know it or not, they are ready for the good news of the gospel. And the emptiness of the world has prepared them for it. I want to read a paragraph from Ron Hutchcraft uh, in his book, A Life That Matters, because I thought this was so good. He writes this, In a world where so little is certain, they are ready for a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world where stress is king, they are ready for a Savior who said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. For a heart full of stress. With so many broken, breaking, broken and hurting relationships, they are ready for a Savior who says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. With the inner weight of so many mistakes made over a lifetime, they are ready for a Savior whose message is that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. With less certainty about what happens after their last heartbeat, they are ready for a Savior who promises, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me. People are ready for the good news. They desperately need the good news. If you've tried to share the gospel, you may feel like, no, I don't really see that. I would concur with that. But I'm wondering if we need a better way of sharing it. I want to share some practical ways we might be more effective in presenting the gospel of Jesus. And the first thing is this. We need to go on our knees. We need to go on our knees. 
We need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. You could not save a soul. I could not save a soul if our lives depended on it. Only God can save a soul. We're not going to save people. We're going to share the good news. And so I think the question we really need to ask ourselves, church, are we praying for the lost in our lives? Are we praying for opportunities to share Jesus with people? And if we're not, I want to encourage us. Let's pray. Let's ask God. God, give us an open door to share. Give me an open mouth to share. And Lord, give them an open heart to receive the good news. Let's go on our knees. Let's go with love. Paul said it was the love of Christ. Paul goad. I know that's not a word. But boy, it fits right now. So I don't have to kind of wrap around. Paul went, which means he goad. See what I mean? He said it was the love of Christ that compelled him to preach the gospel as he went to Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus. It was the love of Christ that compelled him. How? That's, that's the love of Christ in his heart and then the love of Christ overflowing in his heart. So we made the love of Christ fill our hearts. People don't need to hear our opinions. They don't need to hear our frustrations. They don't need to hear us point a finger and wag a finger at people. You need to do this. You're going to go to hell if you don't do that. They don't need that. They need the love of Christ. They need to see and experience the love of Christ in us. So may we pray and ask God to fill our hearts with love for people around us. That we might not keep the good news to ourselves. Thirdly, let's go where people are. Not where we want them to be. I think this is a big thing. Um, some of us older people, we, we remember that America was really built on Judeo-Christian values. I'm not saying it was a Christian nation. It wasn't. America has never been a Christian nation. But it was built on Judeo-Christian values. And for most of our history, people went to church and they went, or synagogue. They went to church. Most people believed in absolute right and wrong. They believed in a set of morals. You, you could say to them, this is what the Bible says, and they may not be living it, but they would, they would recognize the authority of the Bible. They would just say, I, I know, I know, but I'm not living that. That's where they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. We live in a post-Christian nation now. That's not where people are today. If you go and, and, and expect to find people in that place, the room's going to be empty. Church attendance is shrinking. And people are not wringing their hands, I know I should be going to church. They're like, I don't need church. Why go to church? Many people think have bad ideas about church, have bad ideas about 
Christians, large numbers of people no longer believe in absolute right and wrong. Who are you to tell me what's right and what's wrong? So you pull out the Bible and you say, well, this says, and they say, well, what is that? That means nothing to me. What, what authority does the Bible have to speak into my life? That's where people are at. They may not be antagonistic about it, but they're not, they're not sitting under this anymore. So somehow we, the Lord's given us a challenge to go where they are now with the good news. People don't believe in sin like they used to. We see it all around us. People don't believe in sin like they used to. And sin is real. At the core of the good news is the bad news that we are sinners. We are sinners. We have broken the laws of God. We have gone our own way. We have rebelled against God. There's no getting around. You can't have a gospel without the recognition of sin. Sin is at the core of all of our spiritual problem. And central to the gospel. Jesus came to save us from our sin. But what I do want to suggest is if they don't believe in such a thing as sin. Telling them about their sin may not be the best place to start. You got to get there. But it may not be the best place to start. A better starting place might be to talk about the symptoms of sin. Because that people do feel. That they do know. They do feel the loneliness. They do feel the despair. They do see the broken relationships. They do sense a deep emptiness in life. And a purposelessness. Suicide rates are up, not down. People are angry, not peaceful. People are, are lost in knowing what. And so the sense of this, of the symptoms of sin is very strong. And so while they may not believe in sin, that it's sin that's at the core of it, they do feel the symptoms of sin. And Jesus has good news for them because he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set free the captive. He came to set that prisoner free from the prison. He came to give living bread and water to the hungry and thirsting soul. He came to meet them where they feel, felt their need. And then he brought them to understand the deeper root of that need. And I think that might be something we want to pray for. To help us to speak to those things and bring Jesus into the conversation, incrementally bringing them to the deepest need, which may not be felt. They may not feel their need for forgiveness from God, but trust me, that's their deepest need. They may not feel their need to be saved from the wrath of God. They may not believe that God, there is a God and that if there is a God, He has no right to have wrath about my sin. But believe me, there is a God and He will bring judgment. So eventually we need to get there. But starting there may not be the best way to build. And I think we see Jesus do that so often with so many people, as well as Paul, when he's dealing with those who are not churched. He was very deliberate in meeting them where they were with a gospel. 
So going where people are might mean learning to speak their language. In Colombia, we felt the barrier of speaking different languages. It's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. There's, there are times when I would just freeze up. Somebody would say something or whatever, and I'd freeze up. Like, I, I couldn't even remember how to say good morning. I think I said mucho gusto to one person, which means my pleasure. So, you know, I just freeze up. It's a thing. When we didn't have an interpreter, it was challenging. It was wearying at times to communicate. Janice got real good at Google Translate. She would hold that thing out and, you know, she'd be able to translate what they said, then she would say and hand it up to them. It was fantastic. We need to learn to speak their language. We need to go with our story. You have a story of how God saved you. How did God save you? How did God meet you? You have a story of how God's meeting you now, how God's answering prayer in your life now. You have stories in your life of where God is meeting your life. Go with those stories. They take down the defenses. They help people receive because they can't argue with your story. And they don't feel defensive when you share, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. Or this is what happened to me 10 years ago when I came to believe in Jesus. And I just want to tell you my story. And then go to hear their story. Go to hear their story. Everyone has a story. So, sometimes I think we can, we can get a, build a, an inroad into people's lives, not just by telling them our story, and certainly not just by talking at them, but ask them, how, you know, tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did you get to where you are? Tell me about what you believe. Tell me about, you know, your life a little bit. Go to hear their story. We can get to know them and care about them on a deeper level when we get to know their story. And then finally, go with the good news of Jesus. You know, He is the good news. Amen? He is the good news. Jesus, He didn't come to bash us over the head or, or judge us over our sin or reject us because we weren't holy enough. We had all that already. He didn't come to give us 101 rules we need to follow or make us really religious or motivate us to be our best selves ever. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to give Himself. To give Himself to save us. The good news is Jesus Himself. He is the good news. He came to rescue. He came to restore us to our Heavenly Father. Religion can never do that. Politics can never do that. Church, listen, I, we should be involved in politics. We should know what we believe. We should vote. It's our, I think it's an American privilege we have. Don't let, don't let politics become your God. Don't let politics become the thing that you're looking to for solutions. Don't let politics be the thing you're thinking about all the time. It will never save you. It won't save anyone else. It never will. Not until Jesus is the king. Money, education, sexual identity, vocation, family values. None of that can save us. Only Jesus can save us. So go with the good news of Jesus to those in our lives. I want to close by reading a scripture. Somebody shared this at the retreat and said this has been his life first. And I, I think it sums up the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And actually, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close with that gospel song.
um, together. But listen to this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is Paul's story. This is Paul's story. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh. Brothers and sisters, for us to feel the depth of that. Paul's not reciting a formula. He's sharing his heart. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because He loves you. He loves you. And He loves that person living next door to you. He loves that person you work next to. He loves that person you're married to or that family or that uncle. He loves that child who may be wayward. He loves that person who's an alcoholic or a drug addict. He loves that person that's living in sexual sin and flagrant immorality. And there ain't no, no one beyond the reach of His love and grace and what He did on the cross. But how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will someone tell them unless we go? That's our call, church. Let's go, go, go. And ask God to use us as we do. Let's stand together.